Welcome everyone. I'm going to get us into the message a little bit early today because we're going to close out our time together with something uh, a little unique. Thank you, uh, the worship team, for uh, serving the church family this morning. We appreciate you uh, so very much. Since December, we've had a weekly focus on Jesus, coming to Jesus, looking at Jesus, and in particular, um, His physical life on earth, His human life on earth. And today, we are going to uh, look at this important, valuable, priority moment that He spends with His disciples and instructions that He gives us uh, for all time. Jesus calls us to the table. We are in the stretch of the ancient Christian calendar leading up to Sunday, April 9th, when we will celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. So uh, mark that um, particularly on that Sunday. And in this uh, final month leading up to this, we're going to look at some of those specific, important, valuable times that happen in the days leading up to it. And one of the things that we see um, in as Jesus has come into Jerusalem for this time that He has predicted is something that's really important to us and I think is relevant to our lives and that, that there's always something new for us to learn about and that it, the, the, the more real it is to us, the more it can have a profound effect on how we think, how we feel, how we live today and tomorrow and this week. I really think this matters. In fact, it's become one of the things that is most precious to me in my own walk with God. And I won't get into all the stories about that this morning, but this is something that really every Jesus follower who calls this church home should be able to celebrate in their own home or any place on any day in any moment. We see the eyewitness accounts of this in, in, in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. Uh, we're going to look at Luke 22 and Luke's account as he compiled various eyewitness accounts. And, and depending on the scholar that you read, actually all of John 13 is, is taken from this as well. And these moments were very important to Jesus because he says... I have been very eager for this. This is important to me. I've been looking forward to this. That causes me to just kind of lean in. So let's, let's, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 14. When the time came, and that's the Passover festival in Jerusalem, which people who wrote about this who lived at the same time in Jesus outside of Scripture, Jewish historians, the city would swell, would be crowded with a whole bunch of people that would travel from the outlying areas specifically for this. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you, I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup of wine, 
And he gave thanks to God for it. And he said, take this, share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant, an agreement between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Now in 2023, we need some help here. Understanding what's going on. What did Jesus mean? What did this mean to them? Because you, what you don't see, even in, in, even in John, is there's a limited amount of questions. And, and Jesus' followers often asked him questions. So the, clearly there's some, a shared understanding. There, you know, you heard of an inside joke. There's, there's inside material and information that is unusual to us that I think is really important for us to understand. So that we don't make this something that it's not. Right? And so that it has the powerful, because if it's truth from God, it's powerful. Can somebody say it's powerful? If it's truth from God, it's powerful. That's why I'm so careful in everything that we do that we don't ever start with our own interpretation or the own fresh new meaning for today, but we start with what it really meant at that time. Because God isn't here to confuse us and so the truth is out there, and it's simple, and it's powerful. So Jesus started his teaching all, all around Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. We see, turn from your sins and turn to God. And, and back in November, when I started to pray about this message and this group of messages through December and into April... I started to think that we needed to unpack a little bit more what Jesus really means by this. We talk about it all the time, but I think it's so important that in plain, simple English to make sure that we all understand, because I think how we go through the challenges of life, to what degree we experience peace, to what degree we experience joy, to what degree it really is true that the next life is more powerful, informs us more than the challenges of today. Pastor Ben, what the heck are you talking about? In this life, we have challenges. We have pain. We have struggles. And we're born with self-protective instincts. And everyone with a little child that's wonderful also sees examples of selfishness. When we take our own interests to an unhealthy level. And if we're careful, we will have a shallow understanding of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, what Jesus came to do. And the, the, the more shallow the roots, the easier the winds of life when they come and blow against us that we will feel anxiety and stress and worry. 
Now, those things are not in and of, an initial emotional response are not in and of themselves sinful, but they are signs that it is an opportunity for faith to go deeper. Because here's what, for the here and now, here's the opportunity that God has given us. Think about it like this. We live in tension. We were actually created for this human life, for these moments to be moments that include pressure and attention. Let me explain what I'm talking about. It was so profound to me when I was in a really dark place in November. Think about it. On this side, we have God, who's all-powerful, all-knowing, overflowing in love, not intimidated, has never had an enemy that truly challenged him, who's full of love, faithful, pure, consistent, glorious. And over here we have our human world, which is affected by our enemy, which is affected by evil, which also is affected by brokenness. And where we experience brokenness inside ourselves, we then have sharp edges. And as our brokenness has caused sharp edges, our sharp edges hurt other people. And we have the problems and the tensions, and we have Baltimore City's problems and our tensions, and where we are is in between. God and a world with problems. This is kind of funny because my wrist is all messed up. (laughs) We are in between God who is perfect and healthy and strong and a world where there is brokenness and limitations. This is for real. I I didn't plan this. I didn't even put in my notes which hand to use. Well, I think that some of us in this room who I love you so much, I pray for you constantly, the degree to which sometimes we are challenged to our core and that I certainly was in November is because we have a tendency to drift to the side of what we see every day, what we feel every day, what we hear every day from the inside of us and from all that surrounds us. And over here, is God who is perfect and loving and powerful. And sometimes, and we we are not called for the here and now to be only here completely. God has set us in this natural human life for a period of time. But not that we would be so focused on this that we've lost sight of this. But we would be, we would spend time, we see Jesus pulling away for prayer, pulling away for time with God, I would be more affected by the beauty and the wonder and the power of God that it would transform who I am. My roots would grow down into the love of God. It would change me from the inside out. And then I would not be overwhelmed. I would not despair. I was praying this week about some of the things that break my heart in our world. And I wrote in my prayer journal, I will not despair. Because I feel it. I feel this stuff deep, the brokenness. And I want to encourage you when you are feeling, listen, the prophets were overwhelmed. We have multiple examples in Scripture of people of faith that were, their stomach was all messed up. They had all kinds of physical symptoms of anxiety because they were doing what God called them to do. There are moments and there are times of this, but they can be seasons. They should only be seasons. Our main, our baseline, what our constant experience should be is where I'm more affected by God than anything else, and I'm not overwhelmed by the challenges. I do not despair. I don't... Who am I talking to today? 
I know I'm not supposed to yell because a lot of people getting loud is associated with pain from painful memories. Listen, this is a really important principle. And when I feel myself, the psalmist says, why am I downcast on my soul? Honesty before God is so important. When I feel myself overwhelmed, I need to come back. I need to come back. I need to be more affected by who and what God is than anything else. Are you with me? So, that's why I want to unpack what I want to unpack. Jesus says, turn from your sins, turn to God. It's so obvious throughout the eyewitness accounts that the identity of Jesus, is the way he saw his own value, the way he saw his own purpose and his function, was this, there is forgiveness of sin for all who believe. And we see at the beginning when he comes back into Jerusalem just a few days before this meal for the, festi- the, 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 the Passover festival, they shouted, Hosanna, which is salvation, which is rescue us. Why? Because they knew from the teaching of Jesus that he was there to rescue them from sin. Well, in the same way, a shallow understanding of who God is and who Jesus is and what he came, a shallow understanding of sin also can cause us to not be profoundly, positively affected by God. So let's talk about that for a little bit. We have a few different words for it. And I actually just, I would encourage you to look up the Bible Project YouTube video just with the title Sin. And, and, and I think it does good to bring together what is a huge topic in Scripture. And it rightfully states that we have three different words. Iniquity, which is behavior that's corrupt. Transgression, which is breaking trust. And sin, which let's unpack for a little bit. It means to fail. To act contrary to the will and or law of God. I like, I like um, the comedian Nate Bargatze. He talks about how he, 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 he fell in love and got married and like went straight from living in his home with his mother to uh, living uh, with his wife. He grew up in a Christian home. And he said, so, so, that, so that means my whole life I've had a woman in my life saying, I wouldn't do that if I were you. <laughs> And he says, now I have a daughter, so I'm going to hear it my whole life. I think that it's a funny uh, communication of when you're in a committed relationship, there's a healthy desire, I want to please this person. And you learn, the more you, what, what should be occurring is that I'm learning more about what pleases this person. And I should have a clear understanding of what doesn't please this person. And so I don't leave dirty laundry on the floor. And so I shower regularly. And so, like, I, I'll, not today, but I told you I got Gideon for it. I'll take out the trash. I'll do, right. So you learn what it is to act, to do, to think, to feel. And it's a constant pursuit. Well, I still have so much more to learn about Rebecca, I'm not, right? But what this is saying is to sin, is to act or to do, to have thoughts feeling emotions in ways that are contrary to God's desires, to God's will, and to God's command. In fact, it means to miss the mark. And, and, and it means a failure to fulfill the goal. Well, well, what's the goal? 
Well, Jesus says the most important commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So when I'm failing to do that, that's sin. Now stay with me. We're going to have some encouraging stuff, but you need to understand this. I I failed to love God with the best of, right? And then Jesus said there's a second commandment that's equal to it. And it is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So when I fail to do the things that please God, so there's sins of omission where I don't do, think, feel the right thing, and then there's sins of commission. And Jesus actually calls to a higher standard than they had in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, for these Hebrew believers that heard Jesus talk about this, they, what would have resonated with them right away is that first commandment, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments talked about one of two things, a relationship with God or the relationship with other people. And what we see in the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses, these guidelines for life, is that whether it is don't steal or don't, don't have sexual relationships outside of, outside of marriage, God is talking about honor, love, and respect. So when we fail to live without honor, love, and respect for God or other people, it's sin. And God actually brings them together and understands them together. And Joseph, who memorized the commands of God through Moses, understood this because when his boss's wife tried to seduce him to, to, to sleep with her, he said, he said this, how could I sin against God? He didn't say, how could I sin against my boss? How could I sin against you? How could I sin against myself? So how could I sin against God? Joseph understood that to sin against humans is also to sin against God. Yeah. Is this helping you? So to fully love, honor, and respect God, and to fully love and honor and respect other people, is in God's view to be fully human. That's what it means to be fully human. And we make a mistake if we keep this as too vague, too spiritual, too gooey a concept. It is, but it is also very real. God gave you a body, and then Jesus says, you've heard it say, you've heard it said, you shall not murder But I say, if you call someone else an idiot, you are in danger of hellfire. (laughs) Jesus is serious about this stuff. So when we fail, we fail in human relationships when we bring brokenness to it. Now, I want you to talk to me for a second. So now that we have a little bit deeper or or true to what God said understanding of sin... I want you to think about when we break relationships. So let's, let's just use one example. I love guitar. And one of my beliefs is that I cannot have too many. So if I let that belief draw me to a place where I'm going to steal Dan's guitar, I'm going to take that guitar, I'm going to take it to my home, and I'm going to pretend like it's not his anymore. What does that do to our relationship? Somebody? (laughs) I get the big X from Dan. Put words to it. What does it do? It it brings a brokenness to it. It's not healthy functioning. It's not a right standing, healthy functioning relationship anymore, right? So, somebody talk to me. What does sin do? 
It causes separation between God and us. Yeah, separation between us and others. So it breaks the relationship. Let's be a little bit more specific. What other damages? You're hurting yourself. Or hurting myself. Yep. And I'm hurting Dan because he doesn't have a guitar anymore. Do you have more guitars? If I were you, I wouldn't tell me anyway. <laughs> mm. We get numb. Now you can callous your conscience. Right, it dishonors the name of God in the eyes of unbeliever. You know, some people, they don't, they don't want to be called a Christian for that reason. They're too worried of being known as being a hypocrite. Oh, Jesus wants you to have more courage than that. What else? What does sin do? Makes you feel guilty? Right? When you're around the person that you sin against? Yeah. Yeah. It corrupts. Yeah, which, which, which means it weakens, it causes to be faulty, it causes to be unreliable. What else? You live in selfishness. You can't be whole. What about this? It brings death. What, 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 what did the Jesus followers believe? The wages of sin is death. We live in a city with over 300 murders a year. And even though a lot of the people involved are involved with gangs and drugs and things, I, I've been there. I, I've been a, a volunteer Baltimore City Police Chaplain for seven years now. I've been on the scene of a murder within 60 seconds after it happened. I've sat with people, I've been there. Most of the time, the drugs, money, gangs has nothing to do with it. Most of the time, revenge, anger, some previous sin. Sin brings death. There's good news. Jesus has the power to break the cycle. Jesus has the power to break the cycle. Jesus has the power to break the cycle. Why does God hate sin? God loves the sinner, hates the sin. Why? Because God loves us and He sees what it does to us. I have to talk about this because they're at the Passover meal. They believed, Romans 5.20, next slide, where sin increases, grace abounds much more. Grace is more powerful than that sin. We're going to think about what the Passover meal is for them. I'm going to do this very quickly. Why in the old covenants, Jesus is introducing a new covenant, but what was the meaning that they understood when Jesus used that word? It referenced the covenants that they have before. And in our network of churches, in our Bible college, covenant theology is so important for us. The covenant is an agreement between. 
a serious, for the rest of my life, I make this commitment. When I look at my wedding ring, I don't think about, uh, I think about the promise that Rebecca made to me. And I think about the promise that I made to her for the rest of my life. This is, Jesus is talking about promise that God made. But in the promise that God made in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenants, we see animal sacrifice. I hate that. I'm an animal lover. Why would God introduce the concept of animal sacrifice? Do you know who was the first person to do it? God with Adam and Eve. They sin and what does he do? He, they cover themselves with leaves in their shame. He comes, he brings forgiveness and absolves them of their guilt. And there's bloodshed because an animal is killed so that skin could be used to cover them. Because God knew the leaves would fall away. But he instructed people who had to look And I know some of us in this room have had to do this. Look an animal in the eye and end its life. That's horrible. God had to look his son in the eye and end his life. Why would God... Why is this horrific thing at the table, at the table where it's supposed to be celebration, at the table where the Jesus followers did bring celebration? Why? Because God was trying to introduce with the bloodshed of animal motivation for change of behavior. If we wouldn't stop for our own selfish, that we would be free of our own sin, that we would maybe stop so that we wouldn't have to kill another animal. God is trying multiple methods to bring about a change in behavior. There's a whole lot more to it than this, but let's focus on what they understood, the meaning translated from Passover, what we see in Scripture, to this present meal. So let's go through some Scriptures quickly. And as always, they will be in the notes, cityharborchurch.com slash messages, where you can go back and look at these verses. As we understand Psalm 36.6, It says, God, you care for people and animals alike. That's important. Okay. John the Baptist said of Jesus, John 1, 29, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why would John? John is this prophetic revelation. Jesus is the Lamb. What does that mean? On the Old Testament and the covenants, they needed to get a pure Lamb for the sacrifice, the atonement of sin. What does the Lamb do? Take away the sin. Don't you want to be free from sin? Shouldn't you be radically changed with gratitude for being freed of sin? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away sin. Paul, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Christ, our Passover Lamb, He's been sacrificed for us, so let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. Wholehearted relationship with God. Peter, who also betrayed Jesus in those final hours, writes 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Hello, bing, 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 bing. And the ransom he paid for paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. 
His Passover lamb was clearly really important because Exodus chapter 12, God told the Jews to always celebrate Passover. We go back to those verses, chapter 12, verses 25 through 27. God says, when you enter the land, the Lord, Moses speaking to the people under God's instruction, when you enter the land God has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony, this Passover meal. Then your children will ask, what does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. And though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. And God in another place says that he struck the Egyptians because he knew the evil that was in their heart that they were not going to turn away from. And he spared our families. When Moses had finished speaking, all the people bowed down to the ground and worshipped. I've got to be honest with you, my heart is that what happens in our spirits in this place would cause a physical reaction from us and that we would come and lay in this altar. For that reason, they bowed down and they worshiped. Here's a better explanation in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 15. So Christ has now become the high priest over all good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven which was not made by human hands and is not part of the created world, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. That is, the understanding they had that when I sin, I broke that relation. Bre- there's a breaking in that relationship with God that needs to be made right. Verse 14. Just think about how much more of the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sin. To take it all away from you. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant, lifelong agreement, eternal agreement between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. Confident hope of heaven, peace and joy that's life-changing. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. So let's go back to the table with Jesus. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. I tell you, I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What he's talking about is after he returns, when human history has reached its culmination, its fulfillment point, the marriage feast of the Lamb will be eternal celebration. Then he will eat that meal with us again. Us all. He took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. He broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. What is God like? He showed us love in this way. He sent Jesus. He's there. This isn't a TED Talk. It's not a cold, distant lecture. He's eye to eye with them. He's sitting. And in the ancient style, they would be reclining on on the floor around the perimeter of a low table, not with bar stools or high chairs. And in an open air, they would leave these meals, they would leave the doors open and people who were poor or, 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 or illegal immigrants or whatever could come in and could come in and could join the meal. So part of these ancient traditions. God showed us who He is in this. He sent Jesus to sit there eye to eye to speak with a human voice to explain the meaning of this new covenant to them and what His death, burial, and resurrection would mean and the freedom, the new life that it would bring to them. And to give them this practice of sharing in this meal that they would constantly, and the the believers did this, not just once a week in some meaningless ritual, but constantly in homes and streets and public places, they would share in this meal. And the history books say that when they did, healing miracles occurred. That they believed that Jesus was present with them in the Spirit. Even though they couldn't see Him, He was present with them in the Spirit. And I want to say to you, Jesus is present with us here and now with a human voice with human eyes Jesus communicates this is what this meal means so in closing we're going to go to the table but in closing what do we learn what do we learn from this God showed us love by sending Jesus to make a way for salvation and a loving committed relationship with us that will last forever Entering into this covenant, it's a bigger decision than getting married. And I mean, let's be clear. Marriage isn't the culmination of the human experience. Being single is a gift. The scripture is is clear on that. There is a gift in, in singleness, and that's a message in and of itself. But some of us, we get... We've made these commitments that dictate our life more than they should. What's that most? Entering this covenant, this lifelong agreement with God. This is what I, stories I hear from young people in the U.S. have been in communication with folks of what God is doing. This is a part of what God is doing right now. And with a lot of people who've never tasted it before, and maybe you've been around this thing called Christianity before, but the Christianity that you've associated with is what uh, KB in his book that I just read yesterday calls the Christianity of the land as opposed to the Christianity of Christ. The Christianity of Christ, I get this opportunity to enter into this covenant agreement with God where God has already done the heavy lifting. Jesus gives instruction to share a holy communion, bread and a cup, to remember the way to salvation and the call to a committed covenant lifestyle. So so what should we do? We'll follow the instruction of Jesus at the Lord's table. When I was in college, I I was, we experienced the presence of God in in ways that, honestly, for a lot of you would be, 
it would be hard for you to wrap your brain around some of the things we experienced. But one of the things that happened out of that is when we would get together for New Year's Eve, we would share in communion to close out the year. And it were some of the most meaningful times of my life. You should be able to anywhere, in your home, in your car, on the street, share in the table. It's not restricted to when we do it here. We should share in the Lord's table, follow the instructions of Jesus, frequently remind ourselves of what it means. And remember, the focus is on salvation, not sin. We've got to have an understanding of sin to know what it is we've been saved from. But the understanding of sin should cause in us, when we look at salvation and what it means, this, woo! So, what else should we do? Let me give you four phrases what I think our response should be. First is wholehearted loving devotion. This is, what, this is what's happening in Asbury and other places and, and honestly the, the revivals that are happening in other nations that don't get press. Did you know that right now in Iran, Jesus is appearing in people's bedrooms. There, there are salvations that are happening in places where people are killed for being called a Christian. There's a revival happening in Africa and Southeast Asia and in Central Asia. But where it's happening, Jesus is calling people to wholehearted loving devotion. And in America, where things are a little easier, a little bit more comfortable, that's a little harder to wrap our brain around. Wholehearted, loving devotion. City Harbor Church, we're here to help people take next steps in following Jesus. That's always going to mean taking time to ask the question, what does that look like for you? To take a next step in wholehearted, loving devotion to God? What do those words mean when I say them to you? Another thing that has, I've heard the Holy Spirit so clearly in these last few months speak to me is that it should produce in us gracious humility. You've heard me talk about it before. Maybe you thought, well, Ben, that's not the way I would describe you. I am doing everything I can to throw myself more and more into God so that that will be the result. The more time I spend with God, the more time I spend with Jesus, the more it produces a gracious humility in me. And a realization it's not about me. It's not about people showing up for my thing. It's about what is God doing? Let's figure out that and let's be a part of that. Humility is this understanding of who God is and who I am. There is a God, I'm not Him. Gracious humility also grows in wisdom about how to treat other people. People who are confused. People who are broken. Is it more important that I am right in a concept I'm telling them of what they should do about X, Y, and Z? Or is it more important that with gracious humility I would introduce them to Jesus? Follow the lead of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit brings about a change in them and then reveals to them what that change should look like. No perfect people allowed, book we've used for a long time, book many others help us walk through those things. Gracious humility. 
Third, another thing you've been hearing a lot about lately, joyful gratitude. What do we see God say to the Holy Spirit when Jesus' appearance was changed? And it's the same thing God said out loud about Jesus when Jesus was baptized. This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. (laughs) Oh, that we would be a people that would say, this is Jesus who brings me great joy. Joyful gratitude, thanksgiving. And lastly, generous sharing. It should produce in us, when we come to the table, generous sharing. It's in praying for our city and praying for converts. Our monthly uh, Wednesday prayer meeting this past week, I was reminded of this scripture, Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you, harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. He was talking about Corinth. There was no evil in Corinth that we don't have in Baltimore. In my own spirit, I heard so clearly the Lord saying, there are many people in Baltimore that belong to him. Will we be generous in our sharing? So let's go to the table. We're not, it, we'll, we'll hand out the elements in just a moment. But for a long time, Jesus' followers would actually start this time with the Lord's Prayer. Because what we also see in Corinthians is that they clearly believe that before they shared in this meal... They, they needed to make sure that they had confessed of any sin, made a commitment to turn away from it, and received that forgiveness and that new life, that, that life, right? And so they would use the Lord's Prayer to center themselves, to focus on the truth of who God is and what God had done, and to have a moment to confess their wrong. And they believed that since we had this great high priest who's entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, is saying in Hebrews 4, 14-16, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So now I want to lead us in the Lord's Prayer. And I have the, the New Living Translation. I know you may have memorized the King James Version. But as I read this, I want you to just have a prayer moment with God and, and just make sure that you're right. That you've let go of whatever is in the way between you and God. You've confessed it as wrong. You've made a fresh commitment to turn away from it. And you've received the grace that abounds from God. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. 
All right, let's uh, distribute. We have today the, the old-fashioned way in the cup and the bread. I know some of you said, that's good, because the other stuff's not good. So, Rebecca and Gideon are going to go around with the cup and the bread. And Dan, if you'd come and, and play, I'd, I'd appreciate that. Thank you. Let's have a time that is holy between us and God. Let's come to the table. Let's come to the table. I want you to engage your whole person, your imagination, your intellect, your emotions, your spirit. I want you to engage your whole person and put yourself there with the disciples sitting at the table with Jesus. Let's come to the table. He took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. He broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. Jesus for your body. He took a cup and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and His people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Let's take the cup. Jesus, we thank You for enduring the personal betrayal, the false accusation, the public shame, the physical torture, the condemnation. Your body was broken and Your blood was spilled. The powerful spiritual truth that it brought about a new covenant, a new love agreement between God and us. The opportunity respond to the Spirit's leading, opening our eyes to the reality of our own sin, to respond to the Spirit's leading, awakening our spirits to the folly, to the, 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 the terrible imitation that sin is for real pleasure. We respond to the Holy Spirit leading us in this path of salvation. Oh, that You made a way, Jesus, that You endured the cross, that torture, taking our sin on Yourself. Oh, that You were dead and that on the third day God raised You from the dead, accepting Your sacrifice for our sins, that You led the way through death 
into new life, into eternal life for us. That one leading the way through and that it means that this salvation is real. That we can receive new life and that even as we walk out our sanctification, that forgiveness, that grace, that uplifting in our spirits, that you've put our sins away, never to be remembered again, That even when our sin increased, that your grace abounds. It is greater than, more powerful than, outlasting any sin. We thank you for it. Come on today, can we just lift our voices and thank God for our salvation? Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus, for new life. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us through. Thank you, God, for sending the Son. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for bringing us to the table. Thank you for leading us in life. Thank you, God, that you are, your grace is inexhaustible, always there. Help us, Lord. Strengthen us. Lift us that as we walk forward, we would walk forward in your peace and in your joy. Help us to love you fiercely. That this fresh revelation of who you are and who we are would bring about a gracious humility and a joyful gratitude. Oh, this spiritual joy, it's not something that fades, but sticks, becomes a part of our baseline that is defiant in the face of the brokenness of our world. God, help us, just as your followers prayed in the days that followed, that you would give us boldness, that your Holy Spirit would visit us as you did in days of past, and that the result would be boldness. We'd have a courage. We'd have an excitement about sharing what we have found to be so fulfilling. Thank you for it, God. Thank you for today. Thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you so much for coming to the table together. I pray this is a blessing to you. It's uplifting to you. It's encouraging to you. And that you really carry joy into your week. And maybe even you have a time in your own home of coming to the table with Jesus. Grace and peace to you. Have a great week.